Hello, and welcome to episode 7 of Outward Thoughts with me, your host, Ben Schluter. Uh, before we get into this episode, the trivia question from last week. On September, or not last week, last episode. Anyway, on September 13th, 2001, WWE hosted the first major entertainment event in the United States after 9-11 in a venue that primarily houses what? A. Conventions, B. Hockey games, C. Church services, or D. Concerts. While at the time it primarily was a sporting events venue, it was eventually bought out and became Joel Osteen's church in Houston, Lakeland Church. I said last time that this was going to be a more political episode when it came to schools, and technically it is. But when I said schools at the time, what I mean by schools now are two different things. I meant like schooling and public schools and, you know, pre-secondary education, pre-college. But this is about college sports, specifically the financials of college athletics. And this all kind of started when on August 2nd, Pac-12 athletes released in the Players' Tribune their list of demands. Uh, Several players from many schools uh, as part of the hashtag WeAreUnited campaign released a list of demands for football um, that they said if they didn't have them met, they would boycott the season. Now, to me, that seems kind of pointless because there won't be a football season for reasons of have you heard of the everything? There is no way there's going to be a football season. And I seem like, oh, that's a defeatist attitude, but, like, think about everything that has to go right for there to be a football season, and then realize that none of that is. Like, there has been the whole Rutgers situation, and frankly, if you're not aware, at Rutgers, they've had a huge outbreak. It's from players, it's coaches, staff, it's everyone. There's, you had an LSU linebacker on Twitter who had the virus and who lost a bunch of weight and his heart felt terrible. You had the guys posting, because LSU has these great face masks and face shields, they're supposed to prevent the particles, and then one of the guys mentions it's like breathing in a plastic bag, which is always a good sign for a sport that requires a lot of running, because that's not going to hurt. So anyway, this whole thing... Reading through it, it was really good. Uh, Big Ten athletes today also listed out demands. Their demands were not as far-reaching. They pretty much were all about COVID. Uh, This one has not just COVID, but a lot of other things uh, about justice. And I'm going to go through it. I'm not going to read all of the demands, but basically I'm going to start with the ones that I totally 100% agree with because they're pretty obvious. Like, for example, the first one, they have it into four sections. It's in four sections. Uh, The first section is health and safety protections. It's set up into two subcategories and they have numbers. They have COVID-19 protections, the allow option not to play during the pandemic without losing athletics eligibility or spot on our team's roster. While the NCAA has already allowed that, Washington State's head coach Nick Rolovich was caught on uh, tape saying stuff that basically seemed like, well, that wasn't exactly what coaches are doing. Yeah, didn't really help him. It didn't look good. Uh, Also said prohibit slash void COVID-19 agreements that waive liability. Those are awful, and those have actually been found because of the stupid one at Ohio State. My God. 
Uh, you have the mandatory safety standards. They want it done by a third party. This was something that UCLA players had specifically called out because they didn't trust uh, head coach Chip Kelly to administer the health and safety precautions because, well, I wouldn't trust Chip Kelly either because <laughs> he's not a great football coach and he's also not a great like person when it comes to that. You can re I don't exactly remember why that, but I think the stories are out there. Then you have this protect all sports thing. I'm going to go into the third one. Because the third one's going to be later on the ones that are just bad. Uh, it says that Larry Scott, administrators, and coaches should voluntarily and drastically reduce excessive pay and that they should end performance and academic bonuses. Then they have this end racial injustice in college sports and society, which is a really good one. The Pac-12 players are the first ones to talk about the actual major systemic and social problems that they can help with as leaders in their community. Uh, they want to form a permanent civic engagement task force made up of uh, their leaders, experts of their choice, and university and conference administrators to address outstanding issues like racial injustice in college sports and in society and they want 2% of conference revenue to be directed by players to support financial aid for low-income black students, community initiatives, and development programs for college athletes on each campus. And then third is to form an annual Pac-12 Black College Athlete Summit with guaranteed representation of at least three athletes of their choice from every school. And I think that, that would be awesome. And maybe every conference should do that because that seems like a really good idea. Because, you know, pretty underrepresented on a lot of campuses, especially like in the SEC and the ACC. Those would be two great conferences to see it in. Then there's the economic freedom and equity part, and I'm going to get, they have the guaranteed medical expense coverage, which is one that I find a bit weird, so I'm going to talk about that later. Name, image, and likeness, rights, and representation, that's one that, that's the major big point of contention right now. They want it, they're not getting it right now at all. It's not happening, period. Not until something changes with an act of Congress or something. That's probably not going to happen. But... I'm going to go into the ones that I really just have a little bit of an issue with. Um, because it's really about the money in college athletics that people don't always think about or people may not understand. And in fact, the first one on here that I skipped over was a lack of understanding, possibly, on the player's end. The third thing under protect all sports was to end lavish facility expenditures and use some endowment funds to preserve all sports. They add an asterisk and they note, as an example, Stanford University should reinstate all sports discontinued by tapping into their $27.7 billion endowment. Here's the problem. That's illegal. Wait, what? Let me explain. So... Not everyone's aware of what an endowment is. In fact, I barely knew what it was until I started reading this thing. There's an email newsletter. It's called Extra Points. It's really good. It's where I've gotten to know a lot more about stuff like um, how the business of college athletics kind of works. So basically what an endowment is, and I'll use Stanford Universities as an example because it's the one that they just provided. So a $27.7 billion endowment doesn't mean you have $27.7 billion in ready cash available. That's your total funds in investments. 
That's the total of investment funds that you have as a university. Some of that is actually invested in the market. Uh, I think about 5% of it. I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's somewhere in the low, it's around, it's between 5 and 10% of that gets invested in the actual stock market, and that's used to grow and grow and grow. Now, most of that endowment money, if you're a private university, I think all of that endowment money comes from donations. When someone gives money to a university, um, whether it be the university, any part of the university that is not athletics-based, that's important to mention, that's not athletics-based, that money is considered part of the endowment. So... I'm just going to make this easier for myself and for the math because I don't really know exactly what I'm talking about uh, entirely, so I'm kind of simplifying this because I have, a, again, I have a general idea, but I'm not too in-depth into the specifics and I really would like to know what the specifics are. I'd probably love to talk to someone. So let's say that Stanford is investing $7.7 billion of their endowment in the market so that we are left with an even $20 billion. So that $20 billion isn't something that Stanford can just tap into whenever it's running out of money. It's not. What it is, is it's a set of funds that are from every single college. If you pooled all of their investment funds together that they could use to do certain things, you'd have that $27.7 billion. $27 billion. Uh, plus the stuff you've invested that keeps coming back and it's a return on investment. Um, but when you make an investment into an endowment, what you can do is you can specify where the money goes. When you specify where the money goes for an endowment, that's where the money's gonna go. You basically give the school a contract saying, hey, I'll give you this money if you spend it on this. So they'll take the money but they have to spend it on that. This is true for, um, let's say Stanford wants to build a new building on campus. Uh, specifically, they're, I'm a mass comm major, so let's make it easy for me, a mass comm building. They want to build a new building on campus, and their mass comm school gets a donation from someone. Uh, let's say it's from me, because, you know, it makes, makes sense for it. Why not? And so I'd say, okay, I'll give you the mass comm school. I'll give you $20 million to build this building on campus. But you have to promise me that you're going to build this building on campus and you're going to put my name on it. You can have that as a contract stipulation. When they take your money, that money goes into the endowment. But if they spend your my $20 million on anything but what I specified, that's illegal. That violates the terms of the contract, and yes, I believe I'm at a uh, legal right to sue. Now, I mentioned that this is separate from athletics, because I can tell you athletics function separately at, like, every single school. Now, for athletics, I'll use LSU, because much more aware of them and how they work. A lot of people were really mad when LSU used a bunch of money, I think it was like $50 million, to build those new locker rooms. People were like, hey, why didn't you use that money to instead fix the library? The answer to the question of why didn't they use the money to fix the library is that if they would have, it would have resulted in a lawsuit. Probably. 
No, definitely. Because if the money goes to the Tiger Athletic Foundation, that's the only place it can go. Tiger Athletic Foundation functions separately from the university. It does now. It used to actually help the university, but then they distanced themselves like every other public university besides Nebraska and Texas. For some reason, those are still like having a direct affiliation with their universities. So that money was only going to be able to go towards the financing of a new locker room. You have to understand that endowment funds, because that's a different part of the endowment. Uh, Athletic foundations have that endowment. So it's an investment fund. When you say, I want it put here, you have to put it there. And if you don't, you're violating a contract. So when the Pac-12 athletes say that they want universities to use endowment funds to preserve sports, when they say that Stanford should reinstate all sports discontinued by tapping into their endowment, that's not a thing they can do. That's illegal. For like 99% of the money. You really can't tap into an endowment. That's not ready cash. That's just not how the system works. The system for how this whole thing works doesn't allow for them to tap into a bunch of reserve cash because they don't have it. Most schools don't have a reserve fund for most anything. They're barely oper- they're operating on a shoestring budget for most of them in terms of the fact that they're squeezing every penny because every department wants as much as possible so that they can do as much as possible and they fight tooth and nail for every dime. It's tough to have a rainy day fund. LSU didn't have a rainy day fund when we had a 500-year storm. We couldn't ask for money from the government because the government didn't have money because we had a $2 billion budget deficit. Yeah, thanks Bobby Jindal for trying to use this state as a jumping board for the jokiest political campaign I've ever seen. Hey, you didn't have a shot at the uh, Republican nomination. You ran an awful primary campaign and you dropped out of the race. You still didn't drop out of the race early enough. You should never have thought about it. Anyway, that's not important. So that's the first thing. Endowment funds cannot go towards athletics. They can only go towards what they are designated to go to. And that's why a lot of schools are under a lot of financial pressure. To get money from students so that they can have bankable cash. Most schools are not... That's why schools keep needing to get tuition money. Because they don't have the money on hand. Because that money is designated to go to other things. So... That's the first one that I wanted to go into. Um, the second one I wanted to go into was this one about medical insurance. So they mentioned medical insurance select. They want uh, medical insurance selected by players for sports-related medical conditions, including COVID-19 illness, to cover six years after college athletics eligibility ends. I just don't know you're gonna. I just think that's one that they're never gonna get. Like I am. A, I see that. But when when students at UCLA can't go to the UCLA Medical Center, which is the best uh, medical center in the state of California, probably in the in, one of the best in the entire country, and they can't do that on their student health insurance, it's not going to happen for athletes. It's just not. And it's unreasonable to think so. There's a difference between when you're in negotiations, I get you shoot for the moon and then you want to negotiate down. But the thing is, you and you do say you hold leverage. 
you hold leverage right now. But if the season gets cancelled, your leverage is gone. The season's thrown out the window, they're not negotiating with you, because frankly, they need to save themselves. Right now, that's what the Pac-12 is doing. They're looking into finding ways to save the athletics departments because they need money. And I'm actually going to go in on that. Because this whole thing is going to spin into why college athletics is such a broken mess at the major, major level. Um, next one is six-year athletic scholarships. They say it's to foster undergraduate and graduate degree completion. I don't necessarily understand why you would do that, because that would also kind of require for uh, athletics eligibility to be extended to six years. Because isn't the point of an athletic scholarship that you can compete in athletics? So if you're going to give it for six years, they have to be able to compete for six years. Like, that's logical to me, right? I can't be the only one who thinks that if you're going to have a scholarship for athletics, you got to be able to be an athlete. Like, I looked into the history of athletic scholarships, uh, and they're kind of weird. They also get a little complicated, and it's like, it's a questionable thing. And it's also one of the problems where I began to start questioning about the payment of players, because that's the biggest one here, and it's the one where I want to go and spin into a bunch of talk about just the business of college athletics. The major one that they mention is at the start of fair market pay, rights, and freedom. But the one that they start off with is that they want to distribute 50% of each sport's total conference revenue evenly among athletes in their respective sports. To do this would require the Pac-12 to leave the NCAA. That's not going to happen. It is unreasonable. Now, I thought it was unreasonable to negotiate for 50%, but no, that's actually pretty reasonable if you look at contract uh, collective bargaining agreements in the two major sports that the uh, Pac-12 is sponsoring and the two major revenue sports. Uh, the NFL, CBA, just was recently renegotiated, and it's an average of about 47% revenue split for players uh, over the next 10 years. It's going to change and fluctuate a little bit each year, but as a general average, it's going to be about 47-48%, and the revenue split in the CBA of the NBA is about 50%. So that's pretty reasonable, in at least when you're talking about a collective bargaining agreement. They are asking for the right numbers. They're not getting any of them. My first question is, about that 2% of conference revenue, they say, would be directed by players to support financial aid for low-income black students, community initiatives, yada, yada, yada. So, you want... Where's that Where's that 2% going to come from? Who's that 2% being taken from? Is it being taken from the Pac-12's revenue, or is it being taken from your revenue? By putting in that 50%, you're acknowledging that there's going to be a 50-50 split, but then also there's this 2% thing that's just on the outside, and 50 plus 50 plus 2 is greater than 100. And you can't do that. So you need to find a place to cut that 2% out of. Is that 2% of overall conference revenue? So where are you going to take the money from in every single sport? Is it going to be outside of the revenue from the sports themselves, in which where the hell are you going to get it from media? That goes into the sports. It's one where I really do wish that would have been more thought over. 
where does that 2% come from? If that were addressed somewhere, that would have made more sense. But 50-50, you're not getting the money. You're definitely never getting paid to play college sports. Because I, I've put it, like, I was thinking about it, uh, and I had to put this bluntly. Big money college sports will self-destruct before they ever pay players. Big money college sports will self-destruct before they ever pay college athletes. Here's the thing about it. The fact that college sports is a profitable thing is stupid. The fact that it's a profitable thing and schools don't make money from it is even stupider. But it's also their business model. The business model was built to be unsustainable. And no one thought, hey, this is an unsustainable business model. Now, I'll give you the example that made me start thinking about that. So Wisconsin has outlined the stark financial realities of no football season. It would cost them $100 million. A season with limited or no fans at home games would cost them $60 to $70 million. The school today announced a new fundraising push, the Badger Legacy Campaign. A $100 million loss. If there is no football season. Most things can't take $100 million losses. This is college sports. It's worse. Um, that was a tweet from Adam, Adam Rittenberg. Stephen N. Godfrey Jr., I retweeted this, and it was a really good one. This He said, quote, this is what I referenced on Feinbaum, the Paul Feinbaum show. Everyone's immediately broke because no one can bank profits because then it's inarguably a inarguably a business and you have to pay the workforce. They did this to themselves. College sports as a business never should have existed in the model that it did because it was eventually going to collapse. Because they built a model of amateur sports. Amateur, 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 amateur. But they also built non-profits. And then they made hundreds of millions off it. And now they need it to survive. But they couldn't bank a dime of it because that would have pushed them into a situation that was self-destructing. That's basically a summary of that. But I want to go a bit deeper. Of college athletes being paid, yada, 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 all of this. And what this can mean for college sports going farther. My first thought on it is that this hurts everything that isn't the Power Five. Let me be honest. It's everything that isn't the Power Five. It's everything that's not major, major, major schools that can afford to take losses like any of the... Even Wisconsin taking a $100 million loss isn't sustainable. To try and... Ugh, there's so many things that I can go... It's hard for me to find one specific to go into because there are so many problems with the way it was handled and the way the system was set up. Because do I believe college football players should be paid? I believe they should have their name, image, likeness rights. But direct payment seems a bit far-fetched because I don't see how the money would be there and it starts getting you into slippery slope territory 
where it, it can be very difficult. But not only that, you have to factor in that you have to pay players evenly in sports that are mostly non-revenue. The first thing about college sports that makes it unsustainable is that mostly it loses money. Now, I said that that was like a bad thing and that, well, maybe it's because they're non-profit. But it's not only that. So when a school wants to be a non-profit, they can actually make a ton of money. If you took the net uh, money, like, let's take a look at, um, there was someone who posted on Twitter LSU's financials for sports from, like, I think 2017. And what it showed was that football made about $56 million in profit. Uh, then basketball, men's basketball made a couple million, and that baseball made about a million. The rest of the sports combined lost, I believe, $28 million. If you took all of that together, you've profited about $30 million. Now, normal business would actually take some of that money and set it aside. A normal business would be able to use that money and save some of it for later. For if they needed it. The NCAA even tried this at one point when in 2004 they started setting aside a bunch of money in case the NCAA tournament ever got canceled. The problem with the NCAA was they then spent all that money. They gave it back to schools around like 2014, 2015 because they never thought they would need the money. Whereas, and that's just with the NCAA. This is going to be a little bit all over the place and I'm saying this because there are so many different facets, and this is so multi-leveled, that for me, it's hard to even pick where I can go with this. I think, though, that it's best if we just talk about what's the most unsustainable about it. It's the money. It's the amount of money in it. There is so much money in college sports, but specifically college football. It's unsustainable, the business model that you have set up around it. Because think about it. When you're bringing in $50 million in a year, but your overall athletics budget, I mean, your overall net is like very little, even though if you look at totals from every sport, you're actually netting probably around close to 25, 30 million. There's something wrong there. You're clearly doing that on purpose. LSU sports cannot net a profit. It cannot. No major college athletics institution can net a profit. This doesn't make any sense if you think about it. They're bringing in so much revenue, yet they aren't allowed to make a profit. Very few do, and when they do, it's by accident, or it's a small profit. They have to maintain their nonprofit status in order to prop themselves up, and in order to make sure they don't have to pay their players. That's how they want to maintain their amateur stuff, which doesn't make any sense. Because when you get into a situation like now, it's gonna implode. You're a business. You're not a non-profit business, you're a for-profit business. You act in every way like a for-profit business. With all of your advertisements, 
with all of the money that you're throwing around. See, trying to wrap... I've been trying to wrap my head around this whole thing all damn day. About just what are the issues with the way we do college sports. The main one is that it's the powerful conferences that wield all of this power, can make all of this money. And they're the ones that control pretty much everything. And they're the ones who are screwing everything up. If I'm going to be honest, I don't know why the NCAA has a Division 3. There doesn't mean there doesn't need to be a Division 3 at the NCAA level. It does not involve athletic scholarships. And I thought the NCAA's part of the NCAA's point would be after 1973 to at least start dealing with that stuff. Once they started regulating college athletic scholarships, I think it wouldn't have made any more sense for Division 3 to exist. And granted, they literally just created it, but like a separate organization for it would make more sense. I mean, you have the NAIA, and the NAIA gives schools more uh, freedom when it comes to um, athletics. So they can be, they can have fewer sports, they have more control over revenue and stuff, and they can offer athletic scholarships. Uh, not in the same way they do it Division Two. I'm not exactly sure how it works. But with Division Three, what we're looking at right now is the biggest problem. I'm going to say... This is really difficult to culminate into a cohesive thing. Because there's so many problems with college sports in this country. So I'll start with the first one, which is Division Three. At the Division Three level, a lot of these schools only exist with athletics to have people on campus. For a lot of Division Three institutions, it's the majority of students on campus are athletes. The majority of them are athletes. Because that's how they get tuition money. Many schools at the Division Three level add football as a revenue... Uh, yeah, to make revenue. They do it so that they can have more tuition-paying students on their campus. Because since Division Three doesn't offer any sort of athletic scholarships, you have to, like, make the grade, and you're not going to get any support unless it's need-based. What they do is they try to get uh, guys who just couldn't make it onto a scholarship football team, weren't offered scholarships, but want to still continue their football careers. It's not a bad move. And for many schools in the past 20 years, they've figured out that, hey, this actually works. For many schools, they've realized, hey, if we introduce collegiate athletics, we can get people to come to our campus and spend more money. For them, it's about survival. It's about sustaining themselves. For major college athletics, it's about profit. Division three schools are the purest form of collegiate athletics. They don't exist to make money for athletics purposes. They exist to buoy the school. They exist for a lot of schools just so that that school can stay afloat. And that's really big. But now they're getting screwed over right now. Do you know why so many... Do you know why Division 3 is the one that's been canceling so many things? As opposed to Divisions 2 and 1? Divisions 1 and 2 have to wait on the NC had to wait on the NCAA. Because the NCAA deals 
with the athletic scholarships part of it. So they had to worry about that part. Since Division Three doesn't worry about that, they had to worry about the health and safety of their athletes first, even if it came at a cost of money. Because they realized, yeah, we just can't do it. And because the money for us isn't really there, we can be the smart ones. Division Three is the purest form of collegiate athletics. And I love it. Division One is the ugliest form. Specifically, the power conferences. They're very ugly. When it comes to college sports, I hate power conferences. I go to a power conference school and I dislike the way it's done. Because it's so much about revenue. And it's so much about just profiting off of people and then never paying them. It's exploitation. Collegiate sports isn't exploitation. Major collegiate sports is exploitation. The NCAA has a practice of exploitation. At the Division I level. Division II is a bit weird. I'm not exactly familiar with it. Because they exist kind of as like this odd point. They didn't exactly exist until 1973. There used to be only two divisions, the university and the collegiate division. The university division offered athletic scholarships, collegiate did not. Collegiate eventually just got known as Division Three, and then they split the university division into the major one and the ones that wanted to offer smaller ones. Uh, when an NAIA school wants to make it into NCAA Division One, their first step is a, I think it's a 10-year transition period in Division Two. They have to take a while to get to Division 2, then make Division 1. And the transition period doesn't include like a postseason ban. I think they can get into the postseason in a few years. But they have to be in Division 2 for at least 10 years before they can start the four-year transition period to Division 1. That's what Cal Baptist did, um, as an example. And when I say major college, I specify that because there are like 300 and... 30 or 360-something Division One teams, not all of them are big money. Most of them aren't. You take a look at uh, Chicago State, a school that in 2006 was kicked out of its conference because of its financials. A school that's had to look at uh, whether it's financially sustainable to stay at Division One. They're not the schools I'm talking about when I'm talking about the problems with Division One or with the NCAA. They're not the ones making hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm talking about the schools in the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the Big East. Because the Big East makes so much money in basketball that, frankly, you have to include them. They're such a major name in basketball, they have to be included somewhere. I mean, look at the MAC, for example. Look at the- We're not talking about big conference. We're not talking about big schools making big revenue. We're talking about a Bowling Green whose game against Ohio State in the upcoming football season would have made them more money than their um, entire media rights deal they have through their conference. They're going to make $1.1 million from their game with Ohio State. They're guaranteed like 830000 from the media deal. That's the problem. The problem is, and this is something that only popped into my head a few seconds before popping on the mic, there are a lot of... Com- comparisons that I can make here, and I'm not an economics dude, 
but I'm seeing a lot of comparisons between this and the 08 financial crisis, specifically Too Big to Fail, because there are about 65 schools, the 65 Power 5 teams, which includes Notre Dame, are like the Too Big to Fails. Though I included the Big East in there, their numbers aren't nearly on the level of a Pac-12 school. Their numbers aren't on the levels of um, SEC schools. And they buoy a lot of teams. They prop up a lot of teams. Um, and it's so stupid. It's so stupid. What you need to sustain a team at the Division I level. All because these big-ass schools wanted to make a shitload of money. They wanted to make a shitload of money off the backs of exploiting athletes. That's why I understand the Pac-12 athletes wanting 50%. Because they've been exploited for far too long. You're looking at a deal for the basketball tournament. The reason why... Do you know why the basketball tournament makes uh, the NCAA 85% of its revenue? Because the contract they have with Turner is $5 billion over 10 years. The TV contract alone is, like, probably at least half of it. It's half to three quarters of it. And yes, you heard me correctly. 85% of the NCAA's total revenue, at least according to several reports, comes from just that tournament alone. That's why it was so big when it got canceled. That's why they had an investment fund that they had started, because they knew just in case they had to cancel or postpone the tournament or do anything... Due to any reason, they'd have a reserve fund, but no, they decided to pay it out in legal fees because, oh, why were there legal fees? Workers' comp and their exploitation of athletes. Because of course it fucking was. There, it gets to the point where like, and college athletics is great. I love college athletics. But when it becomes this big-ass business that you need to keep things afloat. And I mean a big business to keep things afloat. That's where I start having problems with it. The Division three level is the purest form because it is what... Because it is like college athletics is supposed to be there to help the unit. And you know, it even makes me think about this now of that's terrible. That the only reason that some of these schools are doing what they're doing is because they wouldn't exist without it. Because they don't have any money. Because they're small private schools that exist for one reason or another. Because there's no money in private education, which is, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. There needs to be more money in public education because, you know, more people need access to it. But let me get on my uh, whole spiel about why I think you can look at right now and you can look at 08 that financial crisis, and why I see so many similarities. The financial idiocy that was going on with the banks in 08, and the financial idiocy that's been going on in college sports for the past 40 years at least, pretty similar. It's the exploitation of people. Now granted, it's a different type of exploitation entirely, because one doesn't, you know, you're giving people loans they literally don't qualify for, whereas... Well, actually, no, because if stories are to be believed, uh, Nick Saban paid off JT Curtis of John Curtis in Louisiana, allegedly, allegedly, to get Eddie Lacy's grades changed so that he'd be academically eligible to go to Alabama. Um, 
We've been seeing stupid shit like this for years for paying kids. It happens under the table. It happens under the table. But if it were to happen over the table, that's when it would stop being profitable. That would, That's when it, the whole business model would fall out. Because they need all these bonuses and Jesus, this is so, this is so close to that 08 financial crisis. It's not funny. This really isn't, this is not funny. This is really close. It was irresponsible crises. It was coaches and all making promises to parents and parents in this case being people who were taking out loans and would give them these loans that they literally couldn't afford. In this case, it was athletic scholarships. They didn't actually, I'm sorry, scholarships to universities that they couldn't actually afford to go to uh, and not afford like monetarily, but afford grades wise. Because it's not the only time it's been found out. You hear a lot of stories about uh, grade fraud. You had the Mississippi State case, for example, where they had tutors taking tests for kids, uh, for athletes, I should say. I gotta stop saying kids, because I'm freaking younger. I'm younger than them. Sorry. They're not kids, but, you know. I, I grew up calling it that. Makes sense. Still... Taking tests for them, grade fraud. See this manipulation and fraudulently filling out things for people so that they could get things that they didn't technically, uh, they couldn't afford. It's the same thing. That's what happened in 08. They called it, by the way, the subprime mortgage crisis, and that is not what it was. Subprime meaning uh, below good. What it was was it was bullshit. It was bullshit and lying to try and make people bunches and bunches of money. Basically, lying and committing fraud so people could get bonuses. You know, like what happens at colleges when, when you pay off a kid and then your team does well, the coaches get bonuses. And the assistant coaches and the boosters, they get kind of paid off too. By the way, I'm just going to... I was going to use this for my uh, trivia question, but I'm just going to talk about it. This kind of stuff isn't just like a thing from the 1970s. No, 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 no. This, you can trace this kind of stuff in the SEC. Big story in 1957. Now, I know this story on a personal level. So, and why do you ask? And it's because I'm actually related, uh... It was my aunt's husband was involved in this. So basically, uh, yeah, my uncle Robert, Robert and his brother, I think it was Hank or something. The Bobby twins is who they are. And they were each offered 500 bucks by a booster through uh, Auburn's assistant coach. Uh, I think it was like Hal Herring uh, to go to Auburn. And then that got found out. That wasn't good at all, because what happened was Auburn was put on three years probation, a two-year TV ban, and a two-year bowl ban. In 1957, they were awarded the AP National Championship with an undefeated record, even though they were banned from the UPI poll. Um, and the Bobby Twins, they ended up going to Tulsa. Uh, both, are ru both were running backs. And, yeah. Oh, and by the way, in case you're wondering, two years later... Auburn got popped again. Or one year later. I think it was 1958. 
Auburn got popped again for doing the same bullshit. Now, there wasn't a death penalty kind of thing like SMU had. SMU facilitated the need for a uh, one-year death penalty. Auburn was allowed to keep playing, and they kept offering money to recruits. Then they realized how not to get caught, and that's what they kept doing, because that's how the whole system works. The whole system with college football is so bad, and I absolutely hate it. And it's so... It's unsustainable, because you can't save the money, you're always needing to bring in revenue, and then you have to spend it. To bring in money and to spend it. It's like a fucking Ponzi scheme, but without the whole Ponzi scheme part. Okay, that doesn't work very well. It's like a funnel. It's more of a funnel scheme. Where you have to put the money in. And the money just goes out. And you have to continue to flow through. Otherwise, something bad's gonna happen. Like, you have to keep funneling money. Because if you stop funneling the money, eventually the whole plan falls apart. This is what led to the bankruptcy of the original Arena Football League. This is what led to the bankruptcy of the Arena Football League. Now, granted, that was also kind of a pyramid scheme. Like, not an actual pyramid scheme, but it was bad. Basically, what happened was, uh, with Arena Football, it got more and more and more popular. People started spending more and more money. Eventually, the Austin Wranglers, uh, had the highest expansion fee ever paid, and I think it was, like, $12 million. Then, the 08 financial crisis hit. They stopped getting expansion teams. They stopped getting money funneled into the system, and then the debtors came and said, you gotta pay up. Because you were paying us you kept taking out loans, and you kept paying us, uh, give us the damn money. They didn't have the money, and they went bankrupt. Because that's what happens when you create such an unsustainable system. I don't think college players are ever going to get paid. And I'm saying this just for college football. You think college tennis players are ever going to get paid? That's never going to happen. They don't make enough money to be cared about. Nobody cares about most of the sports. Look... Do you know why a school, like, a track and field team, those are pretty cheap. Swimming teams, those are pretty cheap. A volleyball team, that's pretty cheap. Like, even, a lot of teams, they're pretty cheap to have. But do you know why not every team has a, uh, every school has a baseball team? Because they're expensive. Like, Boise State just got back their baseball team and then cut it once the season got cut short. There may be a park there, but, like, the school just didn't want to spend the money on it. They didn't want to spend the money because it takes a lot of money, and college baseball isn't profitable. I love college baseball to death, but I will tell you, of the 200 or so teams that are playing it, maybe about 50 can sustain it. Maybe about 50 can sustain it. Yes, I'm being serious. The entire SEC, the entire ACC, the entire Pac-12, the entire Big West... Those teams can be sustained. Yes, the Big West, because like at Cal State Fullerton's, those teams, really, really big baseball schools, they're sustainable. But even when I say that, Oregon baseball, probably, uh, no, because Pac-12 has a ton of money in baseball. But maybe Washington and Washington State, not as sustainable. 
I mean, Oregon baseball got cut, I think, in the 70s and only got brought back in 2008 because of the popularity of Oregon State. There are a lot of schools that, even though they're in sustainable places, they just couldn't do it. College baseball is not a sustainable sport for most, uh, for most schools. It's like one of the first sports on the chopping block. Plus, it's a men's sport. You know, I love Title IX to death. Title IX opened up so many opportunities for athletics for women. But do you understand why Title IX also facilitated the death of so many sports at schools, specifically football programs? Do you understand why there were some schools who actually cut athletics entirely after Title IX? They didn't do that because they didn't want women participating. They did it because they couldn't sustain it. Do you know how many uh, women's sports are sustainable at LSU in terms of consistently making money? Zero. Zero percent of them are making money. None of them make revenue. They lose it. Even gymnastics, which I'm a huge fan of now. And uh, congrats, by the way, to Didi Bro on uh, 40, 43 years, I think, of incredible work. Yeah, According to the document that I referred to earlier, the team was losing about three million bucks. It's a lot of money. That's unsustainable for the long term. The team's the team was going to be cut in the 1980s. Granted, Coach Bro just you know refused to leave her office or attend meetings and outlasted the AD, which is badass. But it doesn't make sense to have it at most campuses. Do you know? How many schools in the state of Texas have a women's gymnastics program? One, it's Texas Women's University, and they compete in Division II. Gymnastics is a divisionless sport, meaning that there's no Division I, II, or three, and athletic scholarships are based, I think, on whether the school wants to or not. But not many schools do it. Because it's expensive. I mean, women's basketball's cheap. Women's basketball is cheap, and it doesn't really lose you money. But no one goes to the games. I've been to LSU basketball games, and they're probably like three quarters full. I went to a basketball game, a women's basketball game this year. I think I went to two of them. I went to a game where we were playing Vanderbilt. Uh, it was a cool, cool thing. Because uh, I got to meet uh, Ryan Clark there. Anyway, and I was one of two students in the student section, and I think there were barely a thousand people in the stands. Now, granted, we don't have a really great women's basketball program. We don't have that uh, Sylvia Fowles stuff. But still, that's true for most schools. Like, I was following throughout the season, and you could see that attendance figures for women's basketball games were terrible. They were, like, for schools that would normally draw in the thousands for a random men's basketball game, they were drawing in the hundreds. And they also had terrible time slots. There was a game at 11 a.m. on campus. I wanted to go, but I had a class. That's not important. What is important is about the sustainability factor and the money. And most schools don't have it. If most schools were allowed to choose as as few sports as possible, if they just wanted to maximize revenue, they'd cut everything that wasn't football and basketball. They'd cut everything that wasn't football and men's basketball if they really wanted to maximize revenue and they didn't have Title IX holding them back. Really, if you wanted to maximize revenue, you wouldn't have any women's sports. 
there are very few schools where women's sports is actually a sustainable thing. Because nobody cares about it. There's no money put into it, so there's no money going out of it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't invest money into women's sports. Quite the opposite. There should be money invested into women's sports by people who give a shit about women's sports. That's why the WNBA looks like crap when it comes to the actual finances. Because the people that actually put money into it don't give a fuck about women's basketball. Like Kelly Loeffler, part owner of the Atlanta Dream. And person who needs to, you know, not be part owner of the Atlanta Dream. She doesn't give a singular fuck about women's basketball. At all. She needs to get out of the league. She's weighing it down. And in that sense, a lot of athletics departments don't care about it, and they're weighing their own sports down. If you've never heard of this before, football allows a school to have more sports. I mentioned this right now as part of my reasons why it'd be difficult to pay college athletes. If you're a school that doesn't have a football team, how are you ever going to get the money for it? I'll use Chicago State because they're frankly the best example of a school that doesn't have an athletics budget. A school that barely has an athletics budget. Like I said, in 06, they were kicked out of their conference because they were so financially inept. They're so financially inept. They got kicked out of their conference. They eventually joined the WAC. Um, in a transitionary period, they joined the most maligned conference in history, which was the Great West, which was a football-only conference that tried sponsoring all sports and that stretched from California to New Jersey. Yeah, it was a bad experiment, and uh, it ended with the whole conference falling apart, and then all the teams having to find a place. Uh, some had an easier time than others, and Chicago State ended up in the WAC, uh, the Western Athletic Conference in Chicago. A conference, by the way, the Western Athletic Conference, that spans from California to Illinois, which doesn't make any sense. But they couldn't find anywhere else to go. Let's look at them. Monetarily, I'm surprised they can support anything. Monetarily, I'm surprised they can do anything at the Division I level. It doesn't make any sense for them to be a Division I school. Division II makes more sense for me. Because, like, less problems with the finances. You're not in the whack. But where do we go when we would pay players? Because I always had this idea that we should, and we should pay them evenly by sport, but differently by division, where Division three players would get zero money, Division two players would be getting some sort of monetary thing, and Division one players would get it a different way, and it would be split evenly for each school by the NCAA for, like, and everyone would get the same number. That's unsustainable, and I've learned that pretty obviously, that that doesn't make any sense. Besides the Division three players not getting any money, which is definitely obvious, you can't pay them because they're not getting athletic scholarships. Um, yeah. And this is rambly as hell. I'm sorry. So I'm going to get to a succinct point here because I've talked a lot about stuff. So here's where I've learned about my nuances with the whole argument about paying college athletes. I don't think it'll work. I don't think you can do it in a way that makes sense. You cannot pay college athletes because the system set up for it doesn't allow for it because again like I said it will self-destruct before it lets it the system that it's built on for paying college athletes would self-destruct before it ever let them do it name image and likeness is more the way to go 
but that'll cause inequalities, you might say, because then it'll give teams like USC and UCLA this big edge, because they're in larger markets, and I would say that, um, yeah, but do you really think they're going to get an edge in football recruiting just because they're in LA? Because they don't win. Oh my god, you get to go to LA and lose. Or you get to go to LA and play in the Foster Farms Bowl, which actually doesn't exist anymore. R.I.P. the Foster Farms Bowl. Rippin' spaghetti, never forgetty. That's not the recruiting advantage you're gonna get with NIL. Like, just cause you're in a better location. Like, New York. Like, you... What, you think... Frickin'... I'm trying to think of a good example. Of a school in a... You think the University of Miami is going to get a recruiting advantage just because they're in Miami? It's like, oh, you get to come to Miami and you get to make all of this money uh, from the local businesses. Like, it's not just the area you're in, but you're also completely forgetting that SEC and ACC players are paid. At least in the South. You live in the Southeast, if you're a football player and you're playing Power 5 football, you're getting paid. And if you think I'm messing around or I'm, like, being facetious, no, I don't think you can really say otherwise to me and have me agree. LSU pays its football players. I'll just say it right now. We pay our football players. We pay our basketball players. There's nothing in my mind that can tell me otherwise. But then again, that's something that I'm okay with. I am okay with that. I am okay with bagmen and all of that shit under the table. Like, it may give you an unfair advantage, but the system is built for it. I think the main thing about why the system would self-destruct if they had to pay players is that they just have to start doing it over the table and with oversight. And with all of that kind of oversight, it would really mess up a system. I just realized what I said there. The system's designed to exploit athletes, so you need to keep the system and keep exploiting athletes. But they're getting paid under the table. That's the thing. Good players get paid under the table. And it usually and if you're a good bag man, you never get come that never happens to come out. If you're good at what you're doing, just never comes out. Ask any administrator if they've ever regretted paying as much money as they did for a four or a five-star guy, like they say. Uh, and they will never, ever, ever say they regretted paying for a four or a five-star if it ended up working out for them. I mean, remember, if you can go back to it, if you ever watched the uh, Pony Excess documentary, you look at uh, Eric Dickerson getting that car from Texas Tech and then SMU still uh, giving him more and he was going to go to SMU. This shit's been around for a long time. By putting it above the table... Wouldn't necessarily be that bad, because that's that's name, image, likeness right there. Bag men just do name, image, and likeness under the table. They're paying you for your name, your image, and your likeness under the table. For starters, basketball at this point is becoming pointless to even go the NCAA route. There's no reason for it. Basketball at this point is so stupid as a sport. I don't understand it. Because with basketball, a 16-year-old can now play in the NBA. If you're good enough as a 16-year-old, you could probably be NBA-ready. Or you're professional-ready, at least. You're pro-ready. You should be able to, like, 
Like your junior year of high school, there are some guys who could literally leave, go overseas, or go into a professional league, finish their senior year of high school, and then be ready to go into the NBA draft. That kind of stuff makes sense to me. Now, you do want to try and limit them, try and make sure that they're not overdoing it and all when it comes to their physicality, because that's what's been happening a lot more with basketball players, and eventually they're going to have, like, shorter careers. That's actually what I fear is going to happen to Zion Williamson, because he's been playing so much, and he's so big, and he's got that meniscus problem, and he's just not, he's not in the good build to have a sustainable career, actually. Now, of course, I am talking about basketball, but basketball players, they're still big men on campus. In fact, they're usually the biggest. Ha ha, that was such a funny joke. Anyway, um, I don't think there's anything really that wrong with paying players. Like, see, the thing about it is that I've never really had an issue with bag men. <laughs> and, like, when I hear about it, it's like, like, yeah, it's just subverting an exploitative system and going around it in the right way. You're paying players for doing their jobs well. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you brought it above the table, you'd just make it easier for negotiating rights. But then they'd be employees and you'd have to pay them workers' comp. Okay? I don't think that the uh, Pac-12 needs to split 50-50 with the players. Why not just let everybody get together? And I think I think I know one of the reasons why they were asking for that is so that it was for non-revenue sports. Because, yeah, you know who they're going to ask? They're going to ask for the basketball players. They're going to ask for the football players. Maybe they'll ask for the baseball players. They ain't going to ask for the freaking swimmers. They're definitely not going to ask for the water polo players. Who cares about them? Nobody. That's why the U.S. doesn't win gold medals and the freaking Eastern European countries keep winning them because they actually give a damn about water polo. Whatever. Yeah. That's where I can see a problem. That's why they would want the 50-50 revenue split. But... No... Because here's the other thing I want to say about the 50-50 revenue split. About So I'll talk about that, and then I'm going to wrap it up, and we'll do the trivia question. Then I gotta go. Alright? So. The 50-50 revenue split. You're going to get that money. You're going to give those money to players just for playing. What do you do with the, uh, the athletic scholarship? What do you do with that? Because I'd just as soon throw it out. Because now they're getting paid for playing. So they don't need the scholarship, right? But I can also see why you would probably want that, because then it means that they can get the bonus money on top of it. Which then makes me wonder, okay, maybe you wouldn't want 50-50 revenue split. You could negotiate it down. Because the thing is, you're not getting 50% at the start. They're going to negotiate, if they even negotiate with you, which they're not. There's not going to be a negotiation on the price. But if they were to negotiate, they wouldn't even start at that. They'd start at 25 and go down. You're not getting middle ground of two of a third of the revenue. You already have the scholarships, and I think the scholarships are enough to at least give you part of that off. The scholarships are part of that is off, especially if it covers room and board. If it's covering tuition, room, and board, doesn't make any sense to me. You should be able to negotiate that down Maybe 25%. 25, 75? Hey, that wouldn't be too bad. Now, I would also have to mention that with name, image, and likeness rights, um, that there would definitely, definitely 100% need to be some stuff worked out regarding 
uh, apparel deals. Because, like, you know, Michael Jordan during the Olympics, because he had to cover the Reebok logo for reasons. I guess he wanted to do it. Uh, but if these guys sign apparel deals with other companies besides the one that's supplying the school, that could cause problems. Because then it would be like, well, who's violating whose contract when they do what? And then that causes another problem, which... See, NIL thing gets interesting when you go into apparel licensing because since schools negotiate separate would se uh, negotiate a separate apparel license from the player, they would almost kind of force the player into a working relationship with that company so that when they're a professional athlete, they'd already have that there. This would cause new ways for apparel licensing to actually start working because... And I guess maybe that would actually become... That's another reason why I think NIL gets really messy. When it comes to apparel licensing. And that's why they do want to put some restrictions on it. And I do believe... Here's my opinion on name, image, and likeness rights. You should be able to do all of that. But because you are going to be at an institution. And you're going to be signing certain things you can sign a thing that basically says, like, I will not negotiate apparel deals. Like, you can't negotiate that kind of stuff. Or you can't do this, you can't do that. Like, if a BYU student, I'm going to give BYU because they have an honor code. This should be a thing that is okay because they're a private school. Uh, a private school could actually tell a student, like, you cannot endorse these products and they would either say yes or they couldn't be on the team. And, like, you may say, that sounds draconian, that sounds terrible. And, first of all, this is BYU we're talking about and they're Mormons. You want to talk about draconian, just look up the age of the founders' wives. Alrighty? That's some draconian shit. And also, but it's their legal right to do so. Because BYU in the past has suspended players for violating their honor code. They've suspended them during the NCAA basketball tournament for violating the honor code. And that's fine with me, too, because private schools don't operate on the same level. This is a very difficult subject for me to actually talk about on, an, on a well-informed level because I'm not as well-versed in this, and I want to be when it comes to the name-image-likeness debate when it comes to paying players, when it comes to all of this. And I didn't even get to talk about uh, Division 2, because Division 2 to me is this weird thing that kind of exists that I've never understood. It's like, it's odd there. And I didn't talk about the NAIA, neither did the legislation that Marco Rubio tried to institute. <sighs> Goddamn idiot. But yeah, um, so that was a bit rambly, and I'm sorry, but to sum it up, endowments cannot be used for anything except for the specified use. They're not a reserve fund for cash. I don't understand the six-year athletic scholarship thing, um, but most of the Pac-12 players' demands are fine. Uh, the 50-50 split thing, that's not something they're going to be able to negotiate. When it comes to paying players, I find that the name-image-likeness thing is probably the most the most feasible route at this time because it keeps the schools out of it. And if there's one rule, by the way, that I have, it's that schools are not allowed to directly pay players. 
Schools cannot directly pay their players. Except for through a stipend. Like an athletic stipend, that exists. That's fine. But like, you're not allowed to negotiate that kind of shit. Because that's what causes horrible things. Um, I think if I'm going to talk next time, I might actually want to go deeper into the... Well, we'll see what happens in the world. But maybe at some other point, I'll talk about the weird and wacky world of buy games. Um, expect a bonus episode within the next day or two where I talk about buy games. Uh, basically, big schools paying small schools to beat up on them. And just talk about the wackiness that comes with that. And uh, the weird financial stuff, because that's one that I'm rather interested in um and with that uh that is gonna do it for the episode portion of the outward thoughts but of course outward thoughts always ends with a trivia question and the trivia question for this episode is the combined Australia-New Zealand team of Australasia made their only appearances at the Olympics in what years? A. 1904 and 1908 B. 1908 and 1912 C. 1912 and 1916 or D. 1916 and 1920 The answer will be revealed um, probably on the next episode. I don't know if I'm going to reveal it on the bonus episode. I may just introduce the bonus trivia on there, but give the two answers on the next one. And, uh, yeah, so before going, do not forget that you can follow me on Twitter at capital B, E, N, capital S, capital L, capital A, capital S, P, O, R, T, S. You can find me on Instagram at the same handle. I have been Ben Schluter. These have been my outward thoughts. Thank you and goodbye.